0: 25 dollars each
2: visit LiveNation.com slash concert week to buy now that's live nation.com slash concert
0: week to buy now from ufos to ghosts and government cover-ups history is riddled with unexplained events you can turn back now or learn the
2: stuff they don't want you to know Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And I am Ben. And I have a question for you, Ben. Lay it on me, brother. You down with TPP? Oh, you know me.
3: Oh. If we're talking on a personal note, then I would say that I'm very, very skeptical about TPP. Ladies and gentlemen... Uh, congratulations to you and to us if you caught our reference to OPP
2: uh, a pretty pretty fantastic song from back in the day right Matt and it's other people's property is that actually what it stands for is that just something I learned through the grapevine do you it's know no it's other
3: people's something oh there are various interpretations <laughs> okay uh, but we we are talking about today and this week entirely is not OPP but TPP, which stands for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. All right. First it's, question. Sounds so nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, first question. Uh, why, why should I care? This sounds like a snooze fest. What the
2: heck is it? You probably shouldn't care. What I would do is turn this off and just go back to watching football.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. Or maybe, what um what, what is a, a celebrity doing that's not important or matters? Did somebody maybe say something about a different celebrity that is a throwaway line that could be interpreted or confused with news? I have
2: no idea, Ben. <laughs> that's what people like to watch, right? <laughs> All I know is that my character needs to level up and right now, so I'm going to get on the game and just do that for a while. Just grind. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's what it's about.
3: Yeah. So, aside from our fairly cynical portrayal of what people confuse with news and uh, productivity. Let's talk about Trans-Pacific Partnership, which if you follow some news sources you may have heard about, if you're on Reddit, of course, then you know about this. It is a free
2: trade agreement. So what is free trade? That's something we hear a lot in, in the news sometimes. Sometimes we just read it on Reddit. Mm -hmm. Well, free trade is, in itself, this sexy buzzword. It just sounds so good, right? Yeah, people love free stuff. Man, who doesn't love free stuff? And trading, I mean, that's what makes the world go around, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. So let's trade for free. Okay, I'm down. But it isn't really free in the way you might think. No, it only means that different countries, in this example here with the TPP, different countries can agree to trade goods and services All the things that they trade without tariffs, which are taxes and quotas, which would be, you know, you have to create a certain amount or you have to buy or sell a certain amount in order to make the trade occur. And all these other trading constraints that you'd have to go through when you're making Just a simple transaction from one country to another.
3: So one of the big questions is, why is this a big deal? The majority of countries in the world today participate in some kind of protectionism. And what this means is that they impose those barriers that Matt is talking about here, like uh, tariffs or quotas on exports or imports. And they do this to support their domestic businesses and arguably
2: the domestic economy. That's right. And one of the biggest examples of this would be agricultural subsidies or food subsidies where a government is essentially paying a farmer or a large agribusiness corporation to make food. And then they supplement the income of that company or group of farmers so that they can sell and trade at a lower price for these goods.
3: Now, this affects global trade, of course. Uh, if there is a country that's able to produce corn at a cheaper rate, then of course, people in country B will buy the cheaper corn sure right? uh, but what happens here is is pretty smart because I first started thinking about this when the European Union was forming one of the big fights people had uh, was over. Agricultural subsidies. Uh, France had quite quite a lot, and mm-hmm. uh, the United States and Japan actually have quite a lot right now too. Uh, we are the home of big corn, after all. Yeah. So there's a a smart, almost a real politic thing here, which is that if you have these sorts of subsidies or some sort of governmental support for your agribusiness, then you are taking out insurance on your domestic ability to produce food, so that means that you'll survive, your industry rather will survive, uh, despite international competition and it can mean that you won't become dependent on imports for food but, and I know I wrote this in such a, a crappy way here uh, but it can be bad because it prevents global trade and people in favor of global trade, well, you know that bothers them, <laughs> A so crappily written. I love it. Oh, that was my best defense. But uh so that's a free trade agreement. It doesn't quite mean what it sounds like it means. It is really what is called a liberalization of trade. Mm-hmm. Now, uh can I take a soapbox just real quick? Anyway. I
2: am with you. All right. So.
3: Another thing that is tricky, these these buzzwords and these terms can be so misleading. All right, listeners inside and outside of the United States, you know that the United States is roughly divided between Democrats and Republicans or people who call themselves conservatives or liberals or something like that. Mm-hmm. The thing here is that liberalization of trade does not mean what you would think f- think it means if you associate it with what are called liberals in the United States, what it means is that there is more liberty for these actors, these uh, companies really, mm-hmm. and that there is less uh, state level restraint on them. So it's more of a free to do what you will uh, in a economic sense, whereas uh, liberal in the United States is usually taken to mean free to do what you will in some sort of social sense, sure. right? And I'm I'm not I'm not picking a horse in that race. I am just saying that's what it is, and and don't let it be confused. But with this free trade agreement stuff, right? right? Uh, people who are fans of trade liberalization love it, but people who are just hearing about it are going. Okay, so what? What? What is this? Is it our first time doing this as a country?
2: Yes, this is not the first time one of these free trade agreements has occurred, uh, especially with the United States. You might have heard of something called NAFTA or the North American Free Trade Agreement, which came into play in the in 1994, I believe, mm-hmm. about 20 years ago as we record this. And it was kind of the same thing. It dealt with uh, North America and some of South America. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess it was just North America, wasn't it? It was Mexico, Mexico Canada, Canada and, and the U.S. United States. Yeah. So it, this arguably had some adverse effects on a couple of things, uh, a couple of markets, especially the Mexican agricultural uh, markets. Uh, opponents said that NAFTA moved the U.S. manufacturing overseas, and it cost hundreds of thousands of jobs inside the U.S. because there was this uh, – motivation to lower the prices of – or, excuse me, lower the costs of manufacturing.
3: Well, yeah, and then also if there is less of a barrier for importing goods from another country, right? Yeah,
2: it's cheaper to make it over there.
3: Mm-hmm. There you go. And even what it costs you on shipping to get it on a cargo ship uh still leaves you with a wider profit margin. Then, of course, you'll do it. That's just good business.
2: Uh, in fact – the U.S. has had trade agreements with 20 nations as of October 2014, and there are more on the table and in the works today, including the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Right.
3: And just a point in fairness here, NAFTA is not universally criticized. The United States Chamber of Commerce and other supporters uh, say that NAFTA has led to a booming economy and trade relationship, and that's why they're so gung-ho about TPP. Here's how it started. It was first called the Pacific Three, Closer Economic Partnership, or p 3 sep because in the international sphere, and especially at the government level, people just love acronyms. The more nonsensical, the better. Uh, they, it, this happened during the 2002 APEC, that's another acronym, <laughs> Leaders Meeting.
2: Yes, APEC stands for Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. And in 2005, Brunei joined full-time, and the trade group became known as the P4, because, see, they added one. Get it? Get it, guys? Okay, official agreements uh,
3: were concluded by Brunei, Chile, New Zealand, and Singapore in June of 2005. And what this means is that this didn't start with the United States as a member. No, no. Now, currently, right, there are 12 members in this. And, Matt, maybe we can alternate and just name them. Absolutely. Brunei. Chile. New Zealand. Singapore. United States. Australia. Peru. Vietnam. Malaysia. Mexico. Canada. Japan. The Republic of China. Or Taiwan. And uh, Republic of Korea. And they're hoping so many more will join. So if you are the head of a Pacific Rim government and happen to be listening to our show, hey, thank you. And uh, here's looking at you, Indonesia. What's going on? Get at me. Or, <laughs> you know, get at someone in charge of making that uh, decision. They are hoping more people join soon, and they're especially hoping a certain country will join because, Matt, some people are missing from the table, right?
2: Yeah, there's one in particular that you mentioned in the vlog from this week that is super surprising. The biggest player over in the Asia-Pacific area, China, who, you know, we're talking about the largest population. Mm-hmm. We're talking about massive, a, a massive economy. Second largest in the
3: world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States is currently still first uh, speculation around the the Western speaking world leads us to believe that China, at least factions of the Chinese government, see this free trade agreement as an attempt to contain China's growth internationally. And China, it's true, has uh, several other free trade initiatives of their own that uh, they have been pushing that They want the US not to really mess Mm -hmm. with and the US is telling them not to mess with that and to join their organization. It's like two people holding a party at each, at different houses. Okay. On the same night and saying, No, no, no. no.
2: People to come to their. Oh, you're
3: welcome. I really want you to come to the party, but come to my house. Let's let's hang out at my house, and that's that's on a basic level. But we've talked about how the TPP came to be. We've talked about the countries involved. We talked about free trade and what that means. And now it's time to actually talk about what the TPP
4: says. After a word from our sponsor.
0: $25 each.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
0: That's concert concertweek to
1: buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu
4: From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal
1: podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board.
2: We've gone over a lot of the stuff about the TPP, but I'm not really sure exactly what, like, what's the big issue here? What does it say?
3: That's a great question, and it's one we didn't answer during the break, so let's get right into it. One trippy thing about this agreement is although it affects literally millions of people, over 300 million in the United States alone, uh, this is something we only know about because there were leaked drafts that came out uh, courtesy of some of our buddies on the internet. And, and these leaked sections, which are, to be fair, certainly not the entirety of the agreement, nor are they have the final version. They have a lot of stuff that most of our listeners would disagree with, like language that resurrects the SOPA. Uh, which uh, was the Internet Rights Act.
2: Yeah, and, and ACTA and several of the other versions of it basically mm. attempts to control the way the Internet is used.
3: Right, and we won't bog you down too much with reading the dry language of this, uh, but we will tell you where you can read more, and there's a number one place to read the actual text.
2: Yeah, I was on WikiLeaks just before this going through some of the documentation. They've put out some really great press releases trying to explain exactly what some of the language means. Uh, again, WikiLeaks org is a place where you can go and get this. And they're the initial people who, they're, they're the way that I found out about it.
3: Right, yeah, whomever that whistleblower was that sent the early drafts. They also updated these drafts. And, of course, if you don't want to stumble through this dry international text, then you can go to online analysis. You can read uh both the left and the right sides of the political sphere for the best picture. That's what I would say.
2: Yeah, and there's one more place you can go to, and that is the official Office of the United States Trade Representative website. They've got, I guess, a PR version of what the TPP might be.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's weird when you read that official language because – One thing I found that was strange there is that people were quoting internal buzzwords, and I couldn't determine where that buzzword originated. One of them was the phrase high standard. Whenever you read the Office of the Trade Representative's official statements or other countries' official statements, they've all agreed on the phrase high standard. No one has really defined what high standard means, Matt. just means that the standard's high, Ben. Oh, okay. Well... Pardon the heck out of me, right? (laughs) We should also point out that the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, is the name we're throwing Mm -hmm. around, is the part of the executive branch that is charged with running the negotiations for the U.S. side. Now, we have... A rough look at some of the official statements you'll hear from the Uncle Sam side supporting the TPP. They believe that has the potential to boost U.S. exports and investments by lowering tariffs and leveling the playing field, Mm -hmm. air quotes, in some large or rapidly growing
2: markets. The White House said that the TPP would create or could create more U.S. jobs and it could also generate an additional $123.5 billion a year in U.S. exports by 2025. So
3: beyond the ideas here for business, beyond the commercial side, uh, there are a lot of experts who regard the TPP as a key piece of U.S. foreign policy.
2: Yes, and uh, amid the rise of China and its increasing let's say, exercise of political and military power over in East Asia, the current administration, Obama administration, said that it would turn its attention more to the East, the, um, so-called, you might have heard this before on the news, the pivot to Asia. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and uh, they want to strengthen U.S. influence in that region, which means, Matt, essentially that the factions of the Chinese government who are saying this was a move to contain China were right, because the idea here is to prevent China from rec- uh, becoming what's called a hegemon. Yes. Right? And a hegemon is the top dog in an area. Now, there are global hegemons, there are regional hegemons. There hasn't really been a global hegemon that lasted for a very long time. Uh, the British Empire certainly expanded uh, and owned a great many nations. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like maybe it's controversial to say owned, but it's true. The United States right now uh, being one of the only world superpowers that Survived, uh, and thrived in World War, after World War II, uh, has so many territories and overseas, not quite nation places mm-hmm. that a lot of people in the United States don't know about. Look up Diego Garcia. I uh, think we mentioned that yeah. in
2: an earlier podcast, right? Well, when I think about a, a superpower hegemon in that mm-hmm. way, I don't necessarily think of it as, from the empire perspective of owning a bunch of lands, I mean, maybe controlling a bunch of areas. Mm-hmm. What I think of is just having your, I was going to say tentacles, but your just currency, maybe currency would be a huge <laughs> way to control certain areas or even just, you know, having a military base Ah, yes. in or around your area. Now we've, we've talked
3: about that a lot too, uh, probably off air. I forget sometimes when we're on air, when we're mm-hmm. off, uh, which is something I should try to remember. So it's I don't, important. So we don't end up swearing, but yes, uh, one of the big distinctions here is the ability to project force, mm-hmm. uh, which is the term for your ability to send an army or a navy or an airstrike somewhere. And I think we've talked about brown, green and blue water navies on the show, right? I think we've mentioned it. We have not covered it in detail. All right. Well, just real quick. Most countries that have a naval force have what's called a brown water navy. And what this means is that they can only go a few hundred miles away from the coast. And then there's a green water navy, which can go a little bit further out. And then there's a blue water navy, which only a few nations have. Then the United States being one of them, which can go Anywhere in the world, and since the U.S. has aircraft carriers, if you are another country, you want to play nice because you don't want an aircraft carrier, of all things, running up to your shore and then launching airstrikes.
2: Even anywhere too close. Right,
3: yeah, and it's it's got to be suspicious for anyone who follows the news around the world when... Tensions start building between countries. All of a sudden, they're doing war games, right? And uh, all of a sudden, South Korea and the United States are just running a regularly scheduled war game.
2: Yeah, and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, there's an aircraft carrier not too far from our country. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Like when the there was a large summit in Australia recently, and Vladimir Putin, who, as you can recall, is in a huge... Not quite cold war, a lukewarm war with the West, an economic war really. Mm-hmm. Uh, he traveled down to Australia for this meeting and when he traveled there, he traveled with warships. Yep. And they, they uh, docked off the coast while he was at the meeting, which some would say is paranoid or some would say is showy but i think it might have just been good planning yeah I, I don't know how you travel if you're in charge of a country
2: especially a country that's embroiled in those kind of cold conflicts
3: so this means that this means that if a country achieves hegemony then it will be able to uh make client states of all the other countries in its sphere of influence. And one of the things that's really big when we hear about Middle Eastern conflict is the idea of Saudi Arabia or Iran uh, expanding this sphere of influence and uh, toppling the United States, which the United States is sort of global hegemon. And we know that China, we being the world, not just the West, knows that China is seeking to expand. Uh, China is building islands. It's literally building islands in what we call the Sea of China here in the States, or the South China Sea, excuse me, so that it can make better claims to these, to these islands, to this maritime property. So it's not just the United States
2: being paranoid, mm-hmm. uh, it's, is there, it's paying it, attention, and yeah. it's got uh, extensive intelligence agencies <laughs> that look at this kind of stuff.
3: Oh yeah, what do we always call it an alphabet <laughs> soup, right? But uh, we we know that there is probably, all to say, there is probably a valid point there about an ulterior
2: motive beyond the economy.
3: And there's a there's a cynical perspective about
2: this too. Yeah, there's a way to look at this and go, oh God. Well, that that uh, perspective would entail looking at the benefits that companies and wealthy individuals, wealthy persons, which are mm-hmm. companies, been um, <laughs> just the benefits that they're getting at the expense of ordinary citizens on either side of these trading deals. So. If you look at a massive corporation coming in and wanting to trade, let's say, their – let's say corn. A huge amount of corn. Let's say Japan just really has been liking corn lately, Mm -hmm. and they want to get some of this American corn, Mm -hmm. and they want it cheap. So these massive corporations that are mass-producing corn, say the subsidized farmers, all that stuff, they're going to get benefits over – You know, somebody who is not producing that crop for the U.S. government.
3: That's a great point because there's a fantastic example. And by fantastic, I don't mean good for the people involved. I mean, it it hits almost letter to letter what you're saying. One country was different. NAFTA. Uh, led to what is called dumping for corn in Mexico because these subsidized uh, corn growers in the United States were able to make corn much, much cheaper. And then with a free trade agreement, uh, there was not really a way for Mexico to protect its domestic industry. So it was uh, bad news for a lot of Mexican mm-hmm. farmers. But again, supporters of this stuff would say great news for the Mexican economy.
2: Not to mention things where you overproduce a crop because you're getting so many subsidies, then you just burn it.
3: It's so strange the way that trade works domestically and internationally. You know, one thing I always remember from growing up and reading about the Great Depression in the United States is that due to price drops and fluctuations, people were starving in the cities, you know, and farmers in rural areas were throwing milk into the creek because it was worthless. Yeah. Ugh. It's strange because it means that we can through the, we can through the use of speculation and the use of money and goods as an abstract rather than a concrete, um, asset. We can engineer these situations where people are starving and throwing away things that would keep them alive. It's just weird, but oh, okay. So sorry. I digress. Uh, politicians in the West the cynical would say, generally represent moneyed interest. And it is also true that in many Asian economies, uh, governments openly own what would function mm-hmm. as a corporation, like Brunei, for instance, right? Uh, so this leads the cynical to conclude one thing, right?
2: Yes, this deal will pass. It will be negotiated probably for a while longer, mm-hmm. but it will pass because those in charge of negotiating They don't really answer to anybody but the moneyed interest.
3: Yes. And we're going to come back to some specific things, which I believe we talk about in the videos a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of the specific problems or concerns or dangers with this. And again, these are the words of critics. We are going to talk about the stuff they don't want you to know about the TPP. But first, a message
4: from our
2: sponsor. (laughs)
0: $25 each.
2: Visit LiveNation.com slash concertweek to buy now. That's Livenation.com slash
0: concertweek
1: to buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at PurdueGlobal.edu.
4: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is is uncanny usa
3: he says somebody's in the house and i screamed
4: listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
2: all right so let's get into what critiques are so far of the trans-pacific partnership mm, yeah there are a few no kidding the biggest one that I've read thus far and that I think holds the most weight is that it's secretive it's super secret the only again the only reason we know about this is because it was leaked by WikiLeaks mm-hmm. and it was just a draft version of it mm-hmm. and we're talking about you know some pretty big players uh, pr- large economies a lot of people like you said sure And it's a hush-hush game.
3: Yeah. Congress members have noted that the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative uh, made it very difficult for them and their
2: staff to learn more about the TPP. And you got to think this is especially troubling when around 700, quote, Cleared advisors, unquote, all of whom come from IP rights holders have access to the entirety of the text. So there are 700 cleared people who Mm. get to look at this. And these are like corporate lawyers, right? And execs. Mm -hmm.
3: And one of the big problems with this is that Congress doesn't have access to this agreement, but the private sector does. And regardless of how Carefully, that information is handled. It seems that this to, to many of the critics, it seems that this should be something Congress is allowed to know more about. Now, don't get us wrong. There are quite a few members of Congress who support this so much so that they want to, quote unquote, fast track it and get it uh get it permanent before people really well, when I say people, I'm sorry, I just mean before the average
2: citizen or a uh, voter gets a yes, chance to voter. to say something about this. Um, well, and and yeah. they say that the secrecy is highly important because they're making these deals that are very sensitive. Uh, we're talking about I want, I don't even, I can't tell you the percentage change and the dollar signs and everything that would make a, the deal go through or not go through. I have no idea, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling that these little bits and pieces, uh, that are traded there. It's like this Jenga game where mm-hmm. little one piece is uh, taken out, but then people are putting another little piece back in and it's really sensitive. If one person gets it wrong or one party gets it completely wrong, then the whole thing is, uh, is done. You know,
3: that's not a bad comparison at all because we do know that. The following example could happen. All right. So we know that all of the states are not seeing eye to eye on the agreement, right? There's some things mm-hmm. that the United States really wants that no other country wants. There's some things that three other countries want that no other country wants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's take this for an example. Let's say that, uh, the part of the copywriting stuff, which was a, version of it was published. Let's say that this being published shows the United States aims, which are to completely uniformly regulate copyright law, Mm -hmm. right? Intellectual property is a huge part of what we've read about the TPP. So if you're a country that disagrees with the U.S. position and you see documents indicating that that is the biggest thing for the United States in this agreement, then you know that you can Push the negotiators to cave on some other stuff because their one priority is going to be that thing. So there's a validity to that, but that is by far not the only issue people have with this agreement.
2: No, like we said before, there is a huge danger to internet freedom. The internet is something that is international. It exists across the world. It is not just a one country thing. And it's the same stuff that made most of the Internet revolt against the legislation that was trying to be pushed through United the United States, the ACTA and the, what was the other one, the SOPA, Sopa PIPA, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. all that stuff. Mm-hmm.
3: If you just have a barrage of vague enough acronyms, eventually people will stop paying attention, yeah. right? That's yep. the idea. There's another h- thing here similar to this, uh, the idea that having such active, uniform uh, IP regulation would restrict innovation, and we have seen this happen before with software patents, right? When you patent an idea, now there are companies that just exist as software trolls. They just own patents and sue people whether or not the people purposely were using that patent or whether it's really something that you can patent. But that's a whole different podcast here. One one thing that I I do think is important to uh, point out is that there's nothing really wrong with regulating internet or intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the way that this could be done can be damaging. And here I think is one of the more damaging things. Critics say that this could potentially remove the rights of state legal systems of a nation's ability to enforce its own Regulations because there's a, there's this idea that companies would be able to resolve disputes or like investors, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, would be able to resolve disputes with an international tribune of the tribunal, excuse me, of the TPP. So that means that if, for instance, you are a large company that Violate some sort of regulatory standard in, I don't know, Uruguay, Bolivia, or something like that. Then, under this, you would not necessarily have to go to court there. You could have this resolved in this international tribunal.
2: Uh, that I don't know. That just has such a gives me such a sour taste in my mouth because it seems like the idea of internally regulating yourself inside this group. Right, state Um, sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. mm, Because then what does the state do? If if you're a part of this group and you break some laws there, you just take it on over.
3: And this is interesting, too, because, you know, again, this hasn't happened. The states don't all agree. No one has officially made the TPP happen yet as Mm -hmm. of the time we record this. But people are certainly trying, and the supporters are very Wild about it. I know it seems like we are focusing exclusively on criticisms of it, uh, but that is because that's what we're looking at with the show. We could we could do a show where we talk about global trade in a different way, but then we'd also need to talk about fair trade and, and things like that. And how real or not real fair trade is. Ben, this show is called Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Right, yeah. Okay, I'm back, I'm back on task. <laughs> so with this, with this corporate stuff, which does pose some scary possibilities, honestly, regardless mm-hmm. of what your political ideology or your religious bent is, uh, it is strange because critics say, well, this means companies might violate, um, the environment, you know, environmental regulations. It might mean that Corporations become more powerful than
2: nations. And with that tribunal system, uh, there is a, there's a, there's a worry about secrecy overall with this, I mm-hmm. think, and about trades, like how trading occurs between these countries. I'm trying to get on that tribunal. You know what I
3: mean? Oh yeah. I, I don't know what your qualifications have to be.
2: Probably not internet writer, producer, podcaster. Hmm. Video editor. I'll
3: tell him I'm super producer Noel. That's and it. Then I'm probably then you're in. in. Yeah. Uh okay. Now all I need is a letter of recommendation from Scalia, right? Yeah, done. <laughs> and uh so now we go into uh one of my favorite parts of the show here, and I know that it might be one of your least favorite parts, Matt. Yeah. What do you think? What do you personally honestly believe if you were comfortable with saying it?
2: Uh, yeah, okay, so I'm a big fan of a band called Rage Against the Machine, mm-hmm. and because of my uh, likes and short-term obsession, I still am a big fan, but I was obsessed with them for a while, and I learned a, b- a lot about NAFTA, actually, because of that band.
3: Yeah, they were very active in that, um, uh, in protesting it, they were yes. not supporters.
2: I learned, you know, on the, I guess, the negative side, the critic side, mm-hmm. a lot about it. I mean, I'm sure there are hugely positive things that came out of NAFTA. I, I unfortunately don't know them because that my focus was on some of the workers' rights problems and a lot of the mm-hmm. issues that mm-hmm. came out. Um, I feel that this is representing – gosh, I hate being so open about this, but I feel that this thing, the TPP, is for corporations by corporations mm-hmm. to make profits –
3: It's interesting to respond to that. One thing that I often hear and you often hear, too, when we hear people talking about expanding global trade networks is that there are enormous benefits people take for granted. Uh, There are differing products, you know, from from foreign food to technology that we ordinarily would not be able to get or would be tremendously prohibitively expensive. And then we also hear that. You know, this is necessary for the great snowball that is the world economy to keep rolling without ever quite hitting the bottom and just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes. And one thing that got me a long time ago, I was talking to one of my professors who was an expert on this stuff and said that, you know, most people don't understand, like, the function of a large-scale economy, Uh, and then he said, and most people who do understand it don't understand that an economy can be booming while people are starving. Mm -hmm. And that made such an impression on me because I think that it is – I think that it, it really depends on which perspective you see as the most worrisome because there are quite a few people, quite a few influential and very important people in the United States who think that, um, there is a desperate moment coming where, wherein China, for example, would exceed the United States in terms of economic influence and that legislation like this or trade agreements like this while not uh perfect by any means are a step toward preserving uh the the rest of the
2: nation that can be saved you know what i mean the powers that are currently being uh, the thing that worries me ben right now mm-hmm. is uh global climate change Honestly, the thing right now that is worrying me the most out of anything in the world is that. It beat coronal mass ejections? Just by a tiny, tiny sliver. Wow. Uh, honestly, that's what I'm worried about. I was reading about uh, the Antarctic and glacier melting ratio mm-hmm. or what is it? Um, rates. and methane release. And yeah, I mean, and if anybody watches the newsroom, you should watch the newsroom if you don't. Uh, there, they had a great small piece on this and then Mother Jones looked at it. And then I looked at a couple other sites that analyzed their short piece and I'm actually pretty terrified. And I feel like none of any of these things that are happening, especially a massive trade agreement like this, mm-hmm. where it's going to be corporations probably polluting a lot and sending ships. On a higher frequency across the sea and airplanes that are just fully loaded with things, um, it's scaring the heck out of me because it feels like we're just propelling ourselves into the abyss at a faster and faster rate.
3: There's a lot of underreported conflict occurring or brewing up in the north northern part of the world in the North Pole as those ice caps melt and navigable passages emerge. Uh, one thing that one thing that's interesting here, too, as well, is that, you know, we've got quite a few listeners who think that climate change itself, the idea of global warming or whatever you want to call it, is some sort of um, one world order hoax. Uh, so I, you know, I'd be interested to hear uh, both sides of it because we've received passionate letters from people who say that humans are literally ending the world as we know it, and then we've had people who say that this whole thing is is bunk of some sort. But write to us and let us know what you say. The last word on the TPP is that supporters say, look how great NAFTA was as what's going to happen
2: next, right? And detractors and critics say, look how terrible NAFTA was.
3: So let us know what you think. We hope that we have proven that this free trade agreement stuff does matter even if, well, even though uh, most people listening to the show never get a chance to vote on it. Right? No, no, we won't. And probably not a chance to read it.
2: Mm, if WikiLeaks has anything to say, hopefully we will.
3: Well, we'll see. If somebody donates something to WikiLeaks, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how true. they work. Uh, but we hope in the meantime you will stay tuned for our video on this international trade agreement, the biggest one in 20 years for the United States, actually. And we hope that you will check us out on Facebook, and Twitter, and we hope that you will also... Oh, wait, Matt, I forgot. Mm -hmm. We had a caption contest.
2: All right, and the winner is for that picture of Ben and I from the Snowpocalypse video Mm -hmm. that all of you captioned so passionately. Thank you very much, everyone who wrote in and commented. Um, (laughs) Some of you are hilarious, and we appreciate it very much. There were some impressive butt jokes on that one. Oh, yes. Uh, But the winner is... You ready for this? I'm ready. Remy Vogler. You know, I'm going to read it. Yeah, yeah, read it. Remy says, Matt. Actually, we could do it as it's just us. We yeah, can here, read you, it. Yeah. This is a dialogue. Yeah, it's a dialogue between us. So Remy says, is our subscribe button floating in the middle of the office? Don't look at it. I think the government put it there. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Nice.
3: So thank you so much, Remy. Thank you to everybody who, uh, dropped a caption for us on the, uh, on the Facebook thread. We wish we could give more than one winner because we, we actually really enjoyed reading these. Uh, and we might do this again if you are interested a little later in the future. But in the meantime, remember, this show does not just belong to Matt, Noel, and me. This is your show and our best topics come from you, the listener. So, If you would like to help us out and uh, give us a lead on something that you think all the other listeners to this show should hear about very soon, then send us an email. We are
2: conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena,
0: visit YouTube.com slash ConspiracyStuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at stuff. $25 each.
2: Visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
0: That's livenation.com slash concertweek to
4: buy now.